Good evening, Patriots. And it's Monday. Ah, Monday. It's March 15th, Wednesday. I don't know what's going on with me. All this travel's got my head scrambled. <laughs> but it is a great Wednesday. And on the East Coast, you are already into Thursday, which always is my busiest day. So I'm happy to enjoy the Wednesday as it comes out. Patriots, before we begin tonight, and again, I mentioned this earlier, and I really want to push this iTarget Pro because it is such a timely product for the time in which we live and such a great product, especially with its concept and design and, and the whole story behind it with the idea that this was developed specifically to not only save money at the range, but to provide a way to train family members safely in the home at a very affordable cost to handle and accurately use a firearm. Uh, you can find iTarget Pro at iTargetPro.com, and your promo code is BARDS. But it's really an outstanding product to have in the house, and it's one of these things that you can use anytime and, again, have the control of knowing that you're, you're going to be able to teach safe firearm handling. And, in, as you're, and for yourself, if you handle firearms well, to improve your firearm handling safely in the comfort of your home. iTarget Pro. If there was ever a story that best encapsulated how bad crime has become, it's the one about Starbucks providing baristas with active shooter training because our cities aren't safe anymore. And while the Supreme Court has made it easier for you to conceal carry for protection, it's your responsibility to be properly trained. That's why I endorse iTarget Pro. This system allows you to dry fire practice with your actual firearm anytime in the safety and privacy of your own home. No more inconvenient trips to the range and you will save a ton on practice ammo. Just download iTarget's proprietary app, load the laser bullet into your firearm and start your training experience. Improve muscle memory, reaction speed, sight alignment, trigger control, and much more. iTarget Pro comes in all the major calibers, including .223, so you can stay sharp with almost any firearm. Save 10% plus free shipping with the offer code BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, when you go to iTargetPro.com right now. This is the smartest investment in your ability to safely and effectively handle your firearm. Plus, it will pay for itself in one day. That's the letter I, targetpro.com, itargetpro.com. Offer code is BARDS, B-A-R-D-S. This is something you want to have. Absolutely, especially in these days when things are so crazy. We do have a responsibility always to protect our home and family. It's, you know, Peter carried a sword. Jesus never rebuked him, by the way, even when he drew the sword and cut off the ear of the would-be attacker. The attacker was lucky. Peter spared his life, which is all good. Pages, tonight I want to dig into Joshua 7. We've done Joshua 5 and 6, and going into Joshua 7, I think this is a really important piece to go through and just realize that as God leads us, we have a responsibility to uphold what he tells us to do. And what we learn in Joshua 7 is that because the temple is violated and things are stolen in Jericho, that the blessing that God gave over Joshua's army is taken away. And we see in this as well another insight as we go into this and just to listen for this is as God's blessing is pulled back, how quickly and easily people become fearful. 
I think that in itself is a deep reflection. I will get into more, but as we look at our own culture right now and realize how far God has been removed over the years and how easy and quickly people can be can fall into the trap of fear, anxiety, anger, hatred, all those things, which are all the emotions of the void of Father, and they're all just dark emotions. And so this is just a good framing of that as we move through. So I begin Joshua 7, but the sons of Israel acted unfaithfully in regard to the things under the ban. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, and the son of Zerah from the tribe of Judah took some of the things under the ban. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against the sons of Israel. As you'll recall, the Lord was very specific about not touching things in Jericho, and those things were not, that, that was not upheld. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth Aven, east of Bethel, and said to some, said to them, Go up and spy on the, out the land. So the men went up and spied out Ai. They returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up. Only about two or three thousand men need to go up to Ai. Do not make all the people toil up there, for they are few. So about three thousand men from the people went up there, but they fled from the men of Ai. The men of Ai struck down about 36 of their men and pursued them from the gate as far as Shirbarim and struck them down in the descent. So the hearts of the people melted and became as water. And so there we have the realization that God's blessing has been pulled back. And it's a true moment where you start to see how quickly people settle into the fear and darkness of the world. God is provides such an amazing strength and protection when we're tied in with him. It's a fearless place in our world, and it's truly that place that we all have to stand. But as we have moved into a culture and we've all been trying to reposition ourselves towards in a deeper relationship with Father, we find increasing strength as we lean in and as we look outwards into the world, we realize and can see clearly how many people are walking without him as they walk in the anxiety, the fears, the concern, the consternations of the day. When we tuck into him, all of that's taken away. But it's also an important reminder at the juncture that we sit right now. Because right now, there's going to be choices put before us, pathways that are set before us, choices like a CBDC or a UBI. And all of these things will, may seem okay. But I, will, I would strongly say and, and feel strongly that if we really lean into Father and we say, where do you want us to be? I almost guarantee you he will say, stay with me. Going after the UBI, the CBDC, would be like pillaging the temple in Jericho. And as we, if we do that, we're going to potentially lose his blessing. And it's more about stepping away from him. And then we're left in that void again. So we continue with. Joshua 7, 6. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until that the evening, both he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, 
Why did you ever bring this people over to Jordan, only to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been willing to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say since Israel has turned their back before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it, and they will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? So the Lord said to Joshua, Rise up. Why is that you have fallen on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. And they have even taken some of the things under the ban and have both stolen and deceived. Moreover, they have also put them among their own things. Therefore, the sons of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies, for they have become accursed. I will not be you, I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy the things under the ban from your midst. Rise up, consecrate the people, and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, for thus the Lord, the God of Israel, has said. There are things under the ban in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you have removed the things under the ban from your midst. In the morning, then, you shall come near by your tribes, and it shall be the tribe which the Lord takes by lot shall come near by families, and the family which the Lord takes shall come near by households, and the household which the Lord takes shall come near man by man. It shall be the one who is taken with the things under the ban shall be burned with fire, he and all that belongs to him, because he has transgressed the covenant of the Lord and because he has committed a disgraceful thing in Israel. Those are harsh words. And the punishment for violating God's covenant, ultimately, as we're hearing, is death. But what exactly? Why, why such a big deal? And essentially what we can derive from this is that the things that they were taken were taken were cursed. We hear about this a lot. I mean, you hear about, especially when, with the satanic world, they're always putting curses and spells on stuff. It's really the question. It's just like that. Can we take something into our lives that's because we like it, that's cursed or has some spell put on it? And I would argue no. Because it's going to be a token, an access point for our, for the father of lies and the demonic to enter in. And in this world that they're living here, which is quite amazing, that's understood. We're having to relearn all this stuff. We're, we're forgetting that we are spirit world, dirt world second. And we always put dirt world first. This is the dirt world. And we have to, and we start to reposition ourselves and realize the responsibility that we have, that we are not literally of this world, but we're here for a short time. But as we occupy this in terms of the kingdom, that's a spirit world that we're occupying this in first and foremost. And so the battles that we face and fight begin in a spirit world and then reflect in the physical world. That, by the way, is the, is kind of the core of deliverance work and why deliverance work becomes so important to cast out that which is not of us, to cast out the demonic. 
So we've now, Joshua's now been given a directive to the Lord. And he's been given a place to have to confront those who stole. So Joshua arose early in the morning and brought Israel near by tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. He brought the family of Judah near, and he took the family of the Zarahites, and he brought the family of the Zarahites near man by man, and Zabdi was taken. He brought his household near man by man, and Ashan, son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, from the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Ashan, My son, I implore you, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give praise to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. So Ashan answered Joshua and said, Truly, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight, then I coveted them and took them, and behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath it. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and behold, it was concealed in his tent with the silver underneath it. They took them from inside the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the sons of Israel, and they poured them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Ashan the son of Zerah, the silver, the mantle, the bar of, of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that belonged to him. And they brought them to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. And all Israel stoned them with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. They raised over them a great heap of stones that stands to this day, and the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. Joshua is a very visceral story from the sacking of Jericho to the consequences of violating God's covenant. And it truly establishes that line of power and grace equally that God has. God was grace, gave them enormous grace and blessings as they went through Jericho. But he warned them, do not cross this line. And some of the people did. And you notice how everyone is punished equally because of a few that violated the covenant. But the, re the response to recover from this is something that today we would shudder at. We become very accustomed to no accountability in our lives. And with this time, we do things and don't consider consequence. We will say, seek repentance for something that we do over and over and over and over. Or we'll just after a while forget about it and go, ah, it doesn't really matter. It does matter. Now, our length of time here, and I talked about this last night, it's like looking at your thumb and tying a string on your thumb and extending the string as far to the horizon as you can go. Our physical time here is the length of our thumb, and the way that we live typically is that we work and toil and 
go to school and save our money and prepare for the end of our physical life to enjoy and to pursue all of our dreams. And that's about the length of your thumb's fingernail. And we look at that as the extent of our life. Instead of realizing that this whole time, this length of your thumb, no matter what the length is, it's just a metaphor. That physical world that we're living in, embodied in this physical body, is what will shape us for eternity. And that string that's now tied to your thumb and pushes out there as far as the horizon, that represents eternity. The lures that are that come to us, the temptations of the spoil are immense. And this story, this is one person who is tempted by a few spoils. The mantle from Shinar, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight. Today, we're surrounded by the spoils. It's what goes on in Walmart, what goes on on TV, the, the lures to try to get you to buy, 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 consume, consume, consume. And we don't ever check in with God on it. We just do because we're compelled to do it. We don't pray into it. We don't see if that's where he wants us to be or what he wants us to have. And sooner or later, we acquire so many things, we sit back and we're like, oh my goodness. And the things themselves become of greater worth and value and they then become the albatross that hangs around our neck that holds us down into this physical world. I've said this before, and I think it's a very important perspective, especially in this period of time, because there's a lot of prepping going on, and I see that as responsible and stewardship as long as we're praying in with God to do it. And our prepping shouldn't be just for ourselves. It always should be in light of trying to foster and prepare for a coming shortage where you can be an influence and a positive life-saving element to people in your neighborhood and your community. But nonetheless, we are still, to do that, we are accumulating. And we can justify in any way. We can say, yes, but it's food, or yes, but it's stocks that I need, or yes, it's equipment that I need in case. That's fine. But always walk through, in my opinion, and it's something I do regularly, Take an inventory of everything in your mind and find those things that you feel you can never get rid of. Those are the hooks that will hold us here and work through those. At the end of the day, it's very important to appreciate how significant the hooks in this world are and how profound they are. I told this story now twice, but I'm reminding the story again of the homeless man that I ran into in Chico, California. And that person had nothing, living out of a shopping cart. There were, and those two that were there, same position, but the one in particular that I'm talking about was living out of a shopping cart. He had a set of clothes. They were partially wet, and he was wearing coat looks like a down coat that was an older coat and some some pants or like chinos if you know what those are and basically a set of crocs and as i handed them those cigarettes that one little thing prompted him to pray and ask to pray for me for greater blessings i it's still 
is one of the greatest gifts God could have given me at the time. And it resonates so deeply with me because it's such a reminder of the simplicity of life and that person, they have nothing and yet they can remain so humbled and gracious enough to pray for somebody else's well-being. And those are questions that I've asked myself over and over. How would I be in his shoes? In the sense of what just happened, as the story goes here with Joshua, they had everything. They were winning. They had just tackled Jericho. But one person violates the tenant, and the whole family had to be eliminated. That seed was removed. It's a devastating consideration. And still, that was the way that they could, only way they could find to regain the confidence of Father God. If we lived with that measure of accountability, our world would look very different. If we lived with that measure of accountability, our daily life would function differently. We would slow down. We would listen to him. We would seek his blessing, his guidance, his directions in everything we do. We would immediately respond to the violations of what he wanted, like Joshua did, to regain his confidence in us. But as it is right now, we we spend a great deal of time wandering and meandering with ourselves. We don't spend enough time walking and sharing and talking and enjoying the experience with Father God. I'm, I'm not trying to advocate a place where there should be trembling fear of the Lord, because I think that that sense defeats the relationship with God. Joshua didn't have that sense with God, and it's evident. He's, he's not fearing the Lord. He's actually talking to the Lord and asking him, why did this happen? And God gives him the why and gives him the solution. And Joshua doesn't hesitate. He moves immediately to solve the problem with confidence, knowing that he can regain the trust of the Lord, or at least say it in the sense of minimize the fierceness of his anger. Our world, though, I don't think absorbs the magnitude of our relationship with Father. And I say that in a very broad sense, not saying that people don't have it, so don't interpret it that way. But in a very broad sense, the idea of living with consequence is very significant. Now, I've talked about this last week and last couple nights. I've also mentioned the idea of the skinny jean thing in the pulpit. And I'm bringing it up because it, it brought up a lot of different comments from different people. And while the pastors may not know what they represent, isn't it our obligation to inform them what that style represents, to have them then make an appropriate choice rather than just being lured into a fashion statement that has any, everything to do about sexualizing and demasculating the man. It is our obligation to speak truth. How they choose to take it is not the issue. But it is still our responsibility as we learn. And if, if you doubt what I say, do, question, do the research, follow it, and that's okay. But that's where we sit 
in our and as we walk is as we learn things, it's a necessity for us to share the truth and to challenge those that aren't seeing the truth, at least by presenting them with the truth. Because it's back to consequences. We have to get returned to a place where we truly live with the understanding that there are consequences for our actions, consequences for our thoughts. consequences for the way we live. We are accountable for all thoughts, all things spoken, all actions made. And there will come that time of accountability. And that's part of that short life that we live in perspective to all of eternity. What becomes so clear as we read through, and just using Joshua as the most immediate example, is the understanding of consequence is right there. Not only does He lived through the consequence in this battle, losing men and getting routed by the enemy, knowing that the word will spread that they were not so strong, they weren't so mighty. And even worse, the implied in that is that it will be known that they have lost the blessing of God. And that's where Joshua takes that to Father. It's like they will know. Soon they'll surround us and come after us. And when God gives him this solution, Joshua doesn't hesitate again, but to take the action to correct the measures. How many times do we do that? I've talked a great deal about deep repentance. I don't know how well that resonates with people. I know that as I've done more and more deliverance training down at Glad Tidings Church in Yuba City, deep repentance is a part of that process. It's real. And when I say deep repentance, that means taking time. When you begin the process, you take time to walk your life from as far back as you can remember and from every memory that you can put before yourself. And it takes time. It doesn't just happen in one sitting. When I I did my first, quote, inventory, it took me several weeks. But to go through and find these moments and bring them before the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, I, I ask for forgiveness. And to seek repentance for the actions which we know were wrong. And as we go through that process and then we're opening up the opportunities as we're releasing those burdens of sin, we're now opening up the potential for new memories of things that we need to be considered to flow in. That's the process that I think is one of the most profound processes of setting ourselves on the right path. We're essentially going through and putting ourselves through that accountability as much as we can in the living life and repenting for those sins so that nothing is left or at least little is left when we stand before God. And it's also an amazing humbling process because you start to reflect on how much of our life is truly spent in the service of the Lord and how much of our life is spent in the service of ourselves, our wants, our desires our emotions, or worse, under the influence of demonic elements that want to drag us into the pit. When we take the time to go through this process, we're also opening the door to get to know Father more deeply. We're getting to know our heart and how he responds to our heart. We're getting to know how he hears us, how 
we hear him. And little by little, we unlock so much in our lives. We begin to find where those deep roots of sin or even darkness lie. The one thing that always amazes me about Joshua is as the person, all of that inventory through his life has been done. And he's in this place where his relationship and conversation with fathers in real time is very precise. He's opened those doors because there can be no sin next to the throne or essentially that. I mean, I think that there can be some discussion about that, but there's essentially next to the throne, there can be limited amount of sin, if none at all. But that point we have right there is so critical to try to free ourselves from these obligations and these weights and these burdens. Because as we do, we live a greater life and we see transformation happen before us. And it then begs a question, which is an interesting one all around. Joshua is, in this case, had to deal with one family. So as that is removed, it changes everything. Everything in that moment now changes from that point forward, everything, every relationship is changed. And in a topical sense, you could say, well, of course it is because they eliminated somebody. But it's more than that. Because as an entire group, they've repivoted back into the good graces of the Lord. And the world that they're working in now has shifted. It went from the blessings of God, and then it went away from the blessings of God to where the enemy saw the vulnerability, and then they're going to restore that blessings with Father God. And now, as they confront the enemies once again, they're going to, just in a simple sense, everything is restored to them to be mighty and powerful once again. It is, it's like you're dealing with a shifting in realities. Very powerful work that's happening right there. I want to share a story that's tangential to this tonight because it's, it's, it's really interesting to watch as we walk in a good place with the Lord, how things can transform as we keep a good heart into the world. I have mentioned that one of the things my parents do, besides walking every day, two to three, two, three, sometimes five miles, it's usually about three to five, every day, religiously. They have a beautiful ritual, which they do every day. They start their walk, they give each other a kiss, and my dad always says, let's walk in the sunshine. Now, this is Oregon. We're in rain season, just need to be clear. And there is never a day, never a day that they don't walk in the sunshine. Now, the probability of that is beyond measure, but that's how it is all the time. So about two years ago, near the height of the COVID stupidity, there was a couple that they met on the trail. And they got into a brief conversation, and this couple's very liberal. And it became a very heated discussion, not from my parents' side, but from the liberal side, as you might imagine, because my parents acknowledged that they didn't support the vax. And they had taken the vax. And, of course, 
things got a little nutty. And so my parents came back and for the walk and they had, we talked about it and it was just kind of like, you know, another one of these people. But this is the approach my father took. And he's very good at this. They run into these people regularly. They always happen to walk pretty much at the same time. And it just happens that way. And no matter where they were, no matter when they encountered them, my dad would always wave and say hello. Now, this has been two years. Two years. And every time my dad did that, they would kind of turn their head and gruffly walk past him. And then today came. And as they came up to them and they, my dad waved and said hello, the husband waved back and said hello back. The wife, who had been one of the more difficult people in the conversation two years ago, didn't say a word at first. When my parents had passed them, the wife called out to my parents and walked up to them and introduced herself by name and began a conversation about a new policy that she was trying to get put on the ballot or put before the city council to deal with the homeless people. And I, when my dad's telling me this, I'm laughing. I'm like, oh, I could only imagine. It's a liberal policy, what that means. And he was laughing because he's like, yeah, I was thinking the same thing. He said, so I read it. And she was taking signature for this. And he goes, I couldn't believe how good it was. She wasn't trying to eradicate the homeless problem. She was trying to deal with the issues of, we have a lot of homeless in this town like anybody else, and they're coming from other places. And the city has a problem because they're constantly moving and rotating into places, leaving massive mess piles. And about every few weeks, they have to go through and bring in the cleanup crews, and they do a lot of, they're doing a lot of damage, which is unfortunate. So without getting into the whole gist of the policy, essentially the policy ends up being a really well-thought-out policy to the shock of my father. And he's conservative like me. So is my mom. And this conversation ensues. It becomes very friendly. And all the issues of the two years had passed. Now, there's a lot to reflect on on this. And like I said, it's tangential to the story tonight with Joshua. Because I really believe that a lot at the core of that was a choice that could have been made. And I think in the process, my dad could have carried a grudge which would be essentially, and I'm going to use it metaphorically, like taking things that God said not to take. That's doing things that God makes clear that we should not do. Principle rule, love thy neighbor. And my dad held to that line for two years simply by waving and saying hello and not carrying the vengeance, the anger, the angst, animosity, whatever, in his heart, just purely being a neighbor and saying hello. And the grace that's given at the end of this is that there's a transformation that's made in their hearts as a result of being kind. Their accountability is real. 
whatever has happened in the injection, whether they're sick or not, and apparently they've been sick a few times, they have an accountability that's between them and God. But my father's persistence in leading with love destroyed any sort of anger, anxiety, angst on their behalf and ultimately opened a door that God opened for them to have a a very friendly conversation and a very productive one at that point. When we live with an understanding of consequence, like I said, our life changes. Like the story I have already told about the homeless guy. God tapped me on the shoulder, literally, and I knew that what I had just said was wrong. And I'm blessed that God did just that. And in the process where I was led to go, what I was given was something greater than I could ever imagine. Our path has to be in tune with this. We're not going to defeat this enemy with steel and steel. It leads to blood rifts and generational pain. We're going to have to deal with the true evil at a certain point, hopefully not too much, but there will be some of that, and we'll confront the true evil as we do. There is no bargaining with evil. But on a daily basis, the divisions that have been put in our communities, the separations that have been put between us are all fake. And that's for us to overcome. We have to become the overcomers and lead that fight. My dad's a lone operator in this, with my mother, of course. They're lone operators in this. They're not getting banner recognition out here because somebody suddenly became nice. But that two-year process, that other person ultimately had a shift in perspective. And no, it wasn't a discussion about Jesus, and it wasn't a discussion about coming to the Lord, but they experienced somebody that carries their faith massively in their heart, and they were affected. Where do they go with that? That's their journey now. But a transformation happened. These are the sorts of powers that we carry, a greatness within us as kingdom, as love truly does conquer. Oh, and by the way, my dad packs too, just so we're clear, clear about that. So again, didn't say don't carry the sword. But it does say how we lead. That's the meek warrior. Not the weak, but the meek warrior. Knowing very well that you have all the capability to do anything you need in terms of a fight. But the meekness is the weapon is held back so that the greatness of the mightiness of the sword of the spirit can lead. And in so doing, the world is literally changed one person at a time. This is the glory and the beauty in which the time we live. And we can be so impacted with this. But we have to return to a principle of understanding that as we walk with Father God, we are walking with accountability with him at all times, not just on Sunday, not just on Wednesday, but all times, all breaths, all steps, all actions. And there are consequences of things that will last for eternity. That's the greatness. It's also 
the heaviness of the time in which we live. Great responsibility. And as much is given, much is asked. So I encourage everyone, take this to prayer as you should always. Seek where God wants you to be. Listen to how he wants you to walk. If you find yourself talking a lot about me, I, ask yourself why. Where does God fit into that picture? But he's there. He's at the door waiting to be entered uh, invited in to sit at the table and to eat with us. Let him in. And in so doing, open your heart to the glory in which he brings. And in so doing, let him guide us in every action. Because this storm coming at us, I'll be very honest, I keep waiting for this great storm. And I'm not saying it's not going to get crazy, okay? But this is what I truly believe. I think that as we sit solidly on this rock of faith and we've built this house of stone on that rock, This storm can get as crazy as it it wants. And as we tuck into him, we're going to be okay. Because we understand a couple of things. One, we understand very clearly that there are consequences when we step outside of the direction that he wants us to go. And two, we can restore those places if we listen to him and through whatever form of repentance he guides us to do, we restore ourselves to that grace. But an amazing time, and at the core of our great victory, is going to be the principal tenet and law that was given, love thy neighbor. Let's pray. Father, we're blessed tonight to come here, to be assembled here from all over. And again, you've given us this amazing fellowship that spans the globe spans time as people come together to assemble at their various moments to hear a word, to hear a message, to pray together, to live within the body of Christ. Father, tonight we just pray for that sense of responsibility and accountability to you, to appreciate that as we walk, as we breathe, as we think, that these things we are accountable for, and as we take them to you, if we deviate from the path, if we fall off that narrow path and start walking towards the wide gate, let us have the humility and the responsibility and the urgency to repent and to reset our path, not to delay and to again stand back up and to confront this enemy with a heart that is unburdened, and the strength of kingdom that flows through us. These times were our trying times. And as we reflect back to previous generations, what a blessing that we have been given to live in a time when so much trial is put before us, so much discernment is demanded of us, and all of that comes easily if we listen to you and put our trust in you. So we pray for that that people will find that trust and that comfort in trusting you in all that they do. Thank you, Father, for what you've given us. Thank you for this time in which we live. Bless us and guide us. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. It's a beautiful thing 
to seek the forgiveness of our Father. It's an empowering thing to release ourselves from the earthly ways of anger, of vengeance, of frustration, anxiety, all those emotions that have nothing to do with the glory of kingdom. It's an unbelievable thing to lean into God and to trust in him when he says do things that we're like, uh, not sure. And we do, and we start to witness how as we trust in him, he always delivers and always provides. You know, this crazy time, and I've mentioned this a couple of times this week, is that And it's really on my heart. That's why I'm mentioning it again. And I'll probably mention it a whole bunch more before the end of this year. But in all the craziness of trying to figure out like, okay, what's the next economy going to be like? And what's this going to be like? There is this solace, this calmness that's been put on my heart that just is simple. Trust in me. And as we do, and we realize that We could lose everything. And if we're willing to walk there, just embracing what God has for us now, accepting whatever comes, knowing that no matter what happens, he will provide. And each of those steps may be just another lesson in teaching us the greater glory of what kingdom brings. The homeless man prays for me for greater blessings when he has nothing. What an amazing testimony to his faith. May we all have that much faith. Patriots, keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We're at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I will see you tomorrow for bended knee. Until then or until the next time, God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now. Oh, I want to feel something. I just want to breathe again Dive into the deepest end Oh, I want to feel something Let me get back in my body
lost to me, look how they 